All right, all right. Hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt. If I hadn't got a chance to say hello to you lately, want to welcome you all six of our physical locations spread out here throughout uh, the Tennessee Valley in northwest Georgia. And then also, we've got so many people that are engaged and watching with us you know, online. And if you're watching online, just go ahead in the comments and just throw out maybe where you're watching from and give a shout out. One of our pastors, love Mark, would love to say hello to you. But thank you all. However you're watching, however you're engaged, you're not here by accident. God's got something for you. You're here on a great weekend. We're starting a new series called How To. But before we, uh, before we get to that, I just make a confession. My prayer life, you know, as pastors, we're like professional Christians, so I'm supposed to pray, right? But my prayer life is about to get a lot better. Here's why, all right? That's my kid, right? Isn't that crazy? We adopted him. He's three years old. He's 15. He's behind the wheel of the big ram right there. And uh, so uh, my prayer life's going to get a lot better, all right? I, I promise you, you know? Uh, but but he, here's what I was thinking, you know? So, I, you know, it's up to Beth and I to teach Yasu how to drive. And, you know, one day he's going to drive without us. And, and, you know, you start thinking, man, all the how-tos, right? How to change lanes, how to get on the interstate, how to park, how, how, how not to get a ticket, right? All these how-tos so that when, it, when it's just him and he's got it, that he knows how to drive safely. He knows how to drive successfully, so to speak, and, and, and drive within the limits of the law. And, and, and so we're going to start a series today, and it's really, I was thinking about this it, it, it's like, how, to, how would we explain to someone how to live as a Christ follower? What are all the how-tos for being a Christ follower? And, and so we're gonna, we've built this series. It'll take us all the way through Palm Sunday weekend, all the way up into to, right before Easter. So we've sort of, with, our, with other pastors and our folks that really pray through and think through discipleship, felt like, God, this is just needed. Just how, how, do, you be, how, how do you do it? How, how to you know, live as a Christ follower? How to move forward in your faith? How, how to do all these kind of things? And, and so that's really what it is. And so it's a great time to be here. It's like some, from, some of you it may be a refresher course. Some of you may have an aha moment. Some of you, that you God may speak to you and you may realize you need to become a Christian. So we'll explain every week how to become a follower of Jesus Christ, which we like to say around here, being a follower of Jesus Christ, the only way to die, but it's the best way to live, right? So, so we're going to talk through all that. But today, I was really praying because I, I, I'm going to part one. What's the first thing, if I were explaining to someone how to walk as a Christ follower, what is the first thing I would work on? And it's this, it's how to have the right mindset how to have the right mindset. You would be surprised how many Scripture passages have to do with what goes on in this space between our ears. And, and the reason I'm, I'm going to start with this and we'll talk through this is, is because our minds ha have a spirit about them. Our minds take up a posture, a position. In, they have an inclination. They lean one way or another, and that collectively is what we would call a mindset. And so how do you have a Christian mindset, and why is having a Christian mindset important? 
So we're going to zoom out and we're going to look at uh, a couple of passages of Scripture. Our main passage is going to come from 1 Peter, but our secondary passage is going to come here from Ephesians 4, where Paul is going to talk about mindset. And I just want you to kind of feel the importance of how you think as it relates to our walk and our relationship with God. So he says this. He says, therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That would basically be non-believers, non-Christ followers do, in the futility of their thoughts. So it really is talking about Matt Evans before I became a Christian. It's talking about, you know, how we lived was really proportional to how we thought that we can think in such a way that it is a dead-end street. I'll give you an example. You can raise your hand. You can put it in the comment box if you want to. How many of you have ever had, had one of these moments, seasons, or periods in your life? Man, what in the world was I thinking, right? And some of us, it was a minute. Some of us, it was a conversation. Some of us, it was like you look back and like your B.C. to A.D. story, who you were before Christ, who you are after Christ, and you would say, yep, my, my thought, my thinking was futile. And, and Paul would say, Paul would go on and describe that as they're darkened in their understanding. They just don't get it. There's something not happening spiritually. And because of all that, they're excluded from what we call life in Christ, the best way to live, the only way to die. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance, another thinking word that is in them, and because of the hardness of their hearts. He continues, he said, but that is not how you came to know Christ. So something happened. You came to know, that's another thinking word, Christ, assuming you heard about him. So we come to know him by hearing about him, and you were taught by him, that's being a disciple, learning from him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That part of life change, part of walking with Jesus is a renewal that takes place in that mindset, right? And then to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. In purity of the truth. So we can say that our minds have a spirit about them. We can also say this, and this passage illustrates this principle or this point. We can say that mindsets set the direction for our lives, that the way you live your life is proportional to the thoughts you think, right? Have you ever thought yourself into anxiety? Have you ever thought so much about something, you became stressed out, you became afraid. Have you ever thought about something so much that you just started to doubt God or doubt that you could maybe, some of you today, you may be doubting whether God would ever have you or is God done with you because of what you did? And that voice of accusation and regret and shame is just so loud and you're thinking it, you're thinking and you come to believe what you think. And, and, and some people walk away from church, from God because of that. But your mindset's the direction of your life. And, and the life you live is proportional to the thoughts you think. And then here's the last thing, and this is why it's so important. There's actually a war going on for our mind. There's a war going on for our minds. We, our, our sin nature, the world we live in, Satan, the flesh, all of those things. There's a war going on. So those what was I thinking moments, we got a problem with our mind. Those what were I thinking moments, I mean, there's a war going on for our mind. So, so I, want, I want to answer a question. Why don't I start this how-to series with how to read your Bible? 
how, how to, you know, get baptized and how to come to church and all that. Why, why don't we start with what the, what's typical, how to pray? We're going we're gonna to touch on those things because, listen, you can come to church all you want. If it doesn't change how you think, you're no different than when you walk out of here. I've, I've had this experience. I'm just being open and honest. I've read the Bible and walked away like, I can't even remember what I read. If it doesn't affect, change, alter how I think, what happens? I could have a what was I thinking moment. I could be stuck in, in a moment of futility in my thinking. So it all comes back to our mindset. And in fact, this is so important. Paul talks about how to be led by God, and we like to say the word Christ follower at Rockbridge. And, and part of being led by God has to do with our mindset. Here's what he says in the book of Romans. He said, those who live according to the flesh, that's that part of you that's all about you and, and not about God so much. That, that, that's our ego. That's our sinfulness. That's the, the me I want to be apart from God without the authority of God in my life. So those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, have their mindset on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death. So eternity hinges in part upon mindset, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. And then he says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So being led by the Spirit of God, Paul is paralleling that to the kind of mindset we have. And when we're led by the Spirit of God, we're children of God. So God gives the children of God the, the ability to have a mindset set on, the, set on life and peace. So what we're going to do and how we're going to unpack this today is we're going to identify in the book of 1 Peter, look at a three or four, five, three or four verses or so, we're going to identify how this war for your mind manifests itself in your thinking how this war for your mind manifests itself in your thinking, and then we'll give you a corresponding mindset that correlates to the mindset that is beginning to align with and go with the Spirit. So we'll read the Word of God together, 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll start in the second part of verse 12. These things, and, and these things is related to the gospel, but these things have now been announced to you through those who preach, so you heard something, you heard truth, you heard knowledge, those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. So Paul is talking about the gospel of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who came to bear our sins on the cross, was resurrected on the third day as, as vindication and validation for his identity and his accomplishment that he achieved in winning ransom for us sinners so that we could then be adopted into the forever family of God and live as his children with the Spirit of God. God, giving us the mind of Christ. All right, so that's what he's talking about. And then out of that, he goes, therefore, in light of this gospel, with your minds ready for action, that's like get your workout clothes on, right? That's like get everything, that's like gird your loins up, be ready to go mentally, be sober-minded, right? And set your hope completely, 100% in hope set, mindset, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when the kingdom of Jesus is fully inaugurated, consummated. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, how you used to think. Don't be conformed back to that. And so we get about five mindsets and how the war for our mind manifests itself, all right? The first mindset is this. It's just admitting and owning that I have an insufficient mind, an insufficient mind. 
the, the flip to that of where we're moving is to have a surrendered mind. And let me explain this to you and explain what I mean. Paul says, look, there's something that God had been working on from eternity past to eternity present, eternity future. That was the bringing of Jesus into the world. That was to reveal Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Something happened outside of me. Something happened apart from me that then gets told to me and enters into my mind. So you and I cannot just sit around and think ourselves into completeness, into wholeness and happiness. Something has to come into our minds. So there's a lot of people out there that, man, if I could just figure this out, if I could just un- understand everything, and we start to think if I had perfect understanding or if I had enough information, then I would be better off. I could save myself. I could complete myself. I could be happy. What this tells us is, no, we have an insufficient mind. And so we need to have a surrendered mind to the truths that God has revealed to us, truths that exist apart from us, truths that hold true whether we acknowledge them or not. So part of the insufficient mind is to understand this is one of the most dangerous phrases you can ever say, and I'd be willing to bet most of us have said it in the last 24 hours. Here it is. Here's what I think. Because if our minds are insufficient and our minds need to be informed, preached to, receiving truth of the gospel, then saying this phrase, here's what I think, is very, very dangerous. Because we've all admitted, I kind of tricked you, but we've all admitted we've had a what was I thinking moment. So what if what you're thinking is not aligned with the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of God? That's why that's dangerous. Yet I'll bet you most of us, when we have a problem, we have a situation, here's what I think we should do when we might ought to stop and say, I wonder what God says we should do, okay? So insufficient mind, and we move an insufficient mind into a surrendered mind. Second, the way the war manifests in our mind, we can have a distorted or a distracted mind, or I'll call it a drunk mind, okay? Some of you are amening, right? So distorted or distracted mind, a drunk mind, which means... When you're drunk, right, whatever you get drunk with or have been drunk with, your mind, is, reality is distorted. You're not, you're not responding based upon the gospel, based upon the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're, you're, your mind's distracted because you're, it's distorted, right? And so Paul says, or Peter, excuse me, says we need to be sober-minded. We need to be uh, level-headed. We need to understand everything in light of this hope that's going to be revealed in Jesus Christ. And there's people, you know it, they got distorted and distracted, overwhelmed by politics. There's people that got distorted, distracted, overwhelmed by pandemic. You might have had something happen to you this day, this week. Somebody posted something on social media. Your, your boss made a comment, and you got distorted and distracted. You got deceived into believing or putting too much stock into something, and so your mind got off track instead of being sober-minded. Right now, now, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge, okay? You and I have limited attention. I can only give my attention to really one thing at a time or so many things at a time. But what's happened? Now we have anytime, anywhere attractions or distractions. You know, it used to be, used to be like if you were going to, hey, we're going to, I want to go do something fun, right? You would go to like a movie, you'd go like to a play, you'd go somewhere in a sporting event and you'd have to travel and you'd have to sit down and watch it. Now you just pull out your phone, watch it anytime, anywhere. 
And so what does that do to our limited attention? Our minds can begin to take in so much of the world, right? And and the drift of our heart away from God often begins with distraction in the mind away from the truth of God. Now, and I I just want to be honest. If you're not a Christian, you can relax a minute. I'm going to pick on Christians for a minute, okay? Christians, I've noticed this about myself, and I'm on my 20th year here at Rockbridge, Christians have an awful, crazy tendency to drift. We drift toward the extremes. We get diverted by things at the margins. We drift into conspiracies and speculations. I can't tell you how many conversations, how many emails, how many screenshots of social media posts that I've received in the last two or three years, and Christians getting all worked up mind getting drunk about a conspiracy theory, about a speculation, mind getting drunk on the political climate of a temporary country called the United States of America that I raised my right hand to die for. Can't tell you how many times. Can't tell you how many times Christians want to chase a theological rabbit hole. Like, hey, when's the second coming going to happen? Jesus said he didn't know, so I'm not going to go past Jesus, right? And and, and so we just get caught up in all of this, and this is why Paul says, hey, there's one preoccupation of the Christ follower. There's one thing that's got to dominate our thinking. For I passed on to you as of most important what I also received. How many things can be most important? One. And so what did Paul say? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. So Paul said, hey, the one thing that Christians ought to be obsessed with, absorbed by, focused on, captured by, drunk on, is the reality, the truth, the hope of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It never gets old. We never graduate from it. We can always stand up and sing hallelujah because Jesus is alive. And that's what captures us. That's what captures us. So, so I always get nervous when Christians want to get into the conspiracy, the speculation, the crazy stuff. Like, hey, what started our faith and what promises that our faith wins in the end has not changed, will not change, because our Jesus, he's alive. All right, so number three, how the war manifests in our mind. Passivity, passivity versus what Paul said, with your mind prepared for action, that our minds, we can get lazy in our thinking. We can let other people do our thinking for us. Like, I I caught myself this week. You know, I'm concerned, as you are, about the war in Europe, the war in Ukraine. We've had mission trips go to the Ukraine. We get some emails and feedback from some churches and pastors that we've had Rockbridgers visit. So, you know, we get that. And I was, you know, you, you get so much news. And everybody's, like, going to all their news sources about the, you know, and so do you trust CNN? Do you trust Fox? Do you trust this? Do you trust that? Do you trust some blogger in his basement in Alabama or whatever? I don't know right? And, and, and so people will do that. And I, I was like committed. I was like, man, I probably hadn't checked God's Word. And I got hung up in Isaiah 45. I'm not going to go there tonight. I'm not going to go there this weekend with you. 
But Isaiah 45 gives you a good perspective for how to view something. Uh, and I'm just saying, man, my, I was passive in my thinking. I just let other people think for me. Not that we don't need facts and information. I get all that. And, and then I come across this verse in Hebrews, and it talks about what happens. Like your mind is never going to drift to God. All right? Here's what it says. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. And he's talking about the revelation of Jesus. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. Very few people lose their faith in one day, one night. You know what happens? We drift. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. A little bit of that, oh, that sounds good, oh, that feels good, oh, that makes me wonder, oh, that makes me... But that God says, hey, don't drift, keep what is of most important, keep it most important. The fourth manifestation of the war in our minds is when we start compartmentalizing our mind. James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, would call that being double-minded. The, the antidote to that was having an undivided or a pure mind, purity of thought, purity of truth. So the compartmentalized mind thinks about Netflix in one way, thinks about job one way, thinks about family one way, thinks about church and the Bible one way, but they're not integrated or not connected. It's compartmentalization. This is why non-Christians call Christians hypocrites because, like, hey, they go to church, but when they walk out of here, boy, they don't do business like they're a Christ follower. They don't run their company. They don't treat their employees like Jesus said. I've read, you know, and, and, and so we get that, right? We're compartmentalized. You know, you know, we're, and, and some of us, we do that anyway, right? You ever, like, <laughs> you ever get out, you know, you ever in your car coming to church and you're like screaming at your kids, screaming at your wife, and then you, the door slams and you come out and there's the pastor. Hey, pastor, we're good. Praise the Lord, right? I mean, what is that? What is that? That's compartmentalization, right? Some of you are like, oh, my gosh, he's reading my thoughts. No, I'm living it too, baby, okay? You saw my teenager. He's driving a car. All right, so compartmentalized mind, undivided mind. One of the greatest, I'll say greatest minds that our country has ever produced, a man named Jonathan Edwards. He was part of one of the revivals in the 1700s. Listen to what he says, what ought to be the goal of our mind. He says this, the consistency and agreement with our ideas with the ideas of God powerful? That what do I think about cancer? Does God think the same? What do I think about politics, about race, about money, about human sexuality? Does God think the same? Because there's a lot of people thinking things and assuming God agrees with them or not caring that God agrees with them. But we want to bring those things into alignment because here's a great promise. I've prayed this promise over myself many times. The steadfast of mind, that means the mind steady, stable, and in position, locked. The steadfast of mind, God says he will keep in perfect peace because the steadfast of mind that's locked on God trusts in you. Now, what that means is, look, if your mind and my mind is bouncing around, here, 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 you can lose peace. You can lose peace. But the steadfast of mind, God says, I'm going to keep you in peace. This mind that's integrated, undivided. The fifth way the war for our mind manifests is a captive mind. 
And I don't have an, a, a response to this because you can have a captive mind that's captured away from God or a mind that's captivated by God. And, you, you know, have you ever made this phrase, I just can't get this off my mind? Something you're afraid of, something you're addicted to, something you're worried about a desire that's unfulfilled, like you want pleasure from, and I just can't get off my mind. Your mind's captured. There's a strong warning that the apostle Paul gives us about a captured mind. He says, because they did not think, there it is again, it's all over the scriptures, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind, so they do what is not right. The mind is captured by self, by sin, by strongholds, by Satan. The mind is captured by society, by circumstances. The mind is captured. But there's an antidote. And if your mind can be captured, listen to me, lean in. If your mind can be captured by things that are wrong or temporary or non-life-giving, Mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Mindset of the flesh is death. If your mind can be captured by things that are not life-giving, but actually life-robbing, peace-stealing, your mind can also be captured by something else that is life-giving, that is peace-providing, that is hope-instilling. And so God knows we're in this state, absent intervention. In and of ourselves, we have an insufficient mind. In and of ourselves, we're stuck, captured, corrupted. But Jesus says this. He says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. He will preach. He will use the words of preachers and teachers and witnesses to communicate Jesus, to communicate what Jesus has done so that our minds begin to conceive and be captured by or at least interested in Jesus. Going on to the book of Hebrews, listen to this description. In the last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. Look at the language that's being used. Radiance is captivating, right? When you see a bride that's radiant, there's a reason everybody stands up and looks at her, right? Because she's. when you see a sunrise that's radiant with glory, glory's weight and honor and significance and majesty, it captivates you. So look at how God's spoken to us in these last days by His Son. The Son's the radiance of God's glory, so we're captured by Him. He's the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After making purification for sins, that's gospel, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Superior, more excellent. In other words, Jesus is what captures us. Jesus is what takes our mind from being corrupted and focused on lesser things. And Jesus is the better, the best, the superior, the more excellent. He's the majesty. He's the radiance of God's glory. 
And so when God saves us and God changes our lives, he basically changes how we think and changes what we're captured by. And a lot of us perceive that as loss. But can you imagine going to the Grand Canyon and and, and being told by your tour guide, hey, look at all of this. And right before you get up to look at it, you see a little anthill, and you're like, no, I just want to look at the anthill. I just want to stare at that. Hey, you imagine you know, when you go to the beach, you know, like all the, all the hotels and stuff, they have sprinkler systems to keep the grass and everything. Can you imagine you're right there at the mighty Pacific, mighty Atlantic or the beautiful Gulf of Mexico, right? Can you imagine you're walking to the beach and the sprinklers come on? You're like, oh, I just want to look at these sprinklers. You know, and that, that, that's what God's like. Why are you so captivated by your worry that's going to be resolved in my kingdom? Why are you so focused on what happened on Friday or what they said about you on social media on Tuesday? Look at the ocean. Look at the Grand Canyon. Look at the radiance of God's glory, which is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. This is why scriptures tell you and I, Colossians 3, so you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Here it is. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The author of Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I I just want to give you a definition. I said, here, here, here's, today, here's today's, this weekend's how-to, how to have the right mindset. Here's the right mindset. The right mindset is the mindset that is surrendered to and captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, its eternal message, its present implications and wisdom, and its future hope. See, if you think the gospel does not affect your job, your marriage, your sexuality, if you think the gospel doesn't speak to current events, if you think the gospel doesn't affect how you parent, if you think the gospel doesn't inform how you date, how you look yourself in the mirror and what comes to mind when you think about you, you have an insufficient gospel. So our mindsets are to be shaped. Remember, the gospel that was preached to you, therefore prepare your minds for action. So let me give you some handlebars to move this forward on how to have this mindset, this mindset that we've just defined right here. The first one is this. We've got to believe a promise. All right, and this is, an, it is to me, I love God's promises. They inform my prayer life. That's what I pray, you know, 60, 70, 80% of the time. I pray a promise of God over the church, over you, over our services, over my kids, et cetera, et cetera. So believe a promise. And here's this amazing, amazing promise. Who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? Well, the answer is no one. But we have the mind of Christ. That means the Christ follower, the believer, has the capacity to think God's thoughts. And God's eternally happy, eternally sufficient. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. We don't get to think all his thoughts, but we have enough. That means we have enough provided to us in the form of the Spirit of God and the Word of God that the Spirit of God inspired that we can have the mind of Christ. So what needs to start happening or the potential you have is to say, man, I'm facing this. How, How would Jesus think about this? I'm thinking this about myself. Is this what Jesus thinks about me? 
I'm dealing with this adversity in my X, Y, and Z. How would Jesus think about this? When's the last time we asked that question of ourselves? Because Jesus makes this promise too. So Paul talks about it here. And look how Jesus says, I don't call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I call you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. We can have the mind of Christ. So that means, though, there's a war, though. So we have to learn to challenge our thoughts and consider their fruit. Because there's a, there's a passage in Romans 12 that says, don't be conformed to this age. So, so one of the great things we can do is to challenge our thinking. Remember, one of the most dangerous things you can do is jump into a decision-making. And here's what I think we should do. Are you thinking with the mind of Christ or are you thinking with the mind of flesh? Because the mind of flesh is death. The mind of Christ is life. So... Too many of us, we take our thoughts into consideration when we need to take them into captivity to Christ. And we have the capacity to do that because we have the mind of Christ. So here's a great question. Your thinking shows up in how you're living. We said that from the beginning of this weekend's message. So your thinking produces fruit or it will produce fruit. So you can ask this question, what fruit am I experiencing or will I experience from this thought? If I keep thinking like this, what fruit will come out of my life? Remember, mindset of the Spirit. Paul unpacks some examples in Galatians 5. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. This comes from a mind set on the flesh. So if I keep thinking like this, I will think myself into a posture where I do not get along with this person. If I keep thinking like this, I am going to do something that would shipwreck my marriage. If I keep thinking like this, then my anger is going to come out at the wrong time and cost me my job. That's what I mean, the fruit that we're thinking. But the alternative is this. So he says, I want to warn you about this. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God because the mind is set on death, the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit, the mindset of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you can see a connection. How I think shows up in the fruit of my life. Do you have joy and peace? Do you have hope? Are you responding to events of the world with gentleness? You can because you have the mind of Christ, and you have the mind of Christ if you have the Spirit of Christ, and that's the promise of, that comes with our salvation. Mindset. So then, what do we do? Seven questions to question your thoughts with. Just throw them up here briefly. Is this a truth or a lie? Is this a distraction or an opportunity? Is this peripheral, something that's sort of on the margins, not going to matter in a billion years, not going to matter in three days, or is it central? Because the gospel is of first importance. Is this the devil's accusation or the spirit's conviction? Very important for us to see that. What am I putting my hope in now, God's word and God's work or something else? 
How do the truths of the gospel inform or address this thought? And what gospel truth do I need to remember most right now? And as you begin to ask and challenge your thoughts and consider the fruit of your thinking, God is working because you have, your mind will not drift to the truth. It must be trained to be captivated by the truth. And then the third point we'll make is captivate your mind with God. You know, you can, your mind can get captured by a great series on Netflix. Amen? Your mind can be captured by a fantastic football, basketball game, March Madness. Your mind can be captured by something the doctor told you. Your mind can be captured by the news reports coming out 24-7. Your mind can be captured by a tweet, by a Facebook post. What if we made the decision that we wanted our minds to be captured with God? See, we have the mind of Christ because we have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that which He inspired. So I can hear from God 24-7 because I have a Bible. I can memorize the mind of God because I have a Bible. I can meditate on the mind of God. Because people, I don't know about that meditation stuff. You meditated on that sports score last night, didn't you, brother? I don't know about, I don't think I can meditate. Meditate is just thinking through something deeply from all different angles. You meditated on what the stock market did today. You meditate on gas prices because I've heard us all talking about it. So if you know how to meditate on those things, you can meditate on the radiance of God's glory. So we've developed at Rockbridge a little acronym. We use the word hear because you can hear from God. You You can hear the mind of God. Take the God's word. As you leave your campuses today, we'll give you a bookmark for those of you online. This, is, this, is, this PDF or this sheet is available in our resources section on our website. But here just stands for this. It's how you read God's Word. You do this. You say, God, help me. I need your help to see. I need your help to understand. You always pray first because your mind's insufficient. You examine the Scripture. What does it teach me about God? How does it point me to Jesus? What does it teach me about myself? You apply it. What needs to change in my relationship to God? What needs to change in my relationship to others? I might need to praise God for something. I might need to confess something to God. I might need to go get right with someone. I may need to love this person better or differently, etc. And then you respond and you pray that out. You pray that out. You pray these things out. And that's that, you want to ask me, how, Matt, how do you study the Bible? I mean, that's it. How, how do you do that? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand the Bible. That's what you do. But you got to do it consistently because you want to be captivated by it. Because you want this, the mind of God, to be what shapes your life. Because God's for you and not against you. So I want to do something a little different. Jesus says this. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so I want to do something, all right? You know, we really, most, most, for the majority of Christianity, there were no printed Bibles until the Gutenberg Press came out. So believers would get together in churches or in circles, and they would hear the Word of God read or spoken, but they all didn't have access to it. Maybe there was one letter Paul wrote to this church, and everybody's clinging, and, you know, somebody, and, and then they would memorize it. So what we're going to do at all of our campuses and online as well is I'm going to just invite you to listen 
to the Word of God, but to listen to be captivated by the glory of God. So however you can best do that, there's, it's not going to be on the screens. It's just going to come out of my mouth, but these are not my words. These are the words that the Holy Spirit has inspired about the Son of God, the radiance of God's glory. So if you want to close your eyes, if you want to get in a prayer position that, that suits you, that kind of helps your mind get focused, you do what you need to do. But would you hear the words of Jesus as he says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. May God bless the reading of his word.